Welcome to The Debrief here on ABC News Live. I'm Aaron Katursky in New York. Coming up, we'll take you right to the U.S. southern border with Mexico. And we'll hear what first daughter Ivanka Trump has to say when we asked her about some of the heartbreaking images from there. And what Paul Manafort's legal team has been telling the White House about the special counsel investigation. All ahead after these headlines from ABC News. For the first time ever, Mississippi's elected a woman to the Senate, Republican Cindy Hyde-Smith, winning a runoff election. The reason we won is because Mississippians know me and they know my heart. And thank you for stepping up, Mississippi. We're learning more about the Lion Air jet that crashed off Indonesia last month, killing all 189 people on board on the data from one of the black boxes. Warning alarms of something wrong but it was apparently a bad sensor in data, telling the flight computer there was a possibility of a dangerous stall. So the computer put the jet nose down. The pilots correcting, this happening more than two dozen times. A tug of war, nose down, then pulled up until the jet fell out of the sky. The Cannabis Control Commission in Massachusetts says the first commercial pot shops in the Commonwealth sold more than $2 million worth of marijuana products during the first five days they were open for business. Amazon is making a new push into healthcare. It's rolled out new software that can read things like patient records and notes from doctors, analyze them, pull out important data points. Amazon says doctors and hospitals could use the program to cut costs and improve treatments. Who lives in a pineapple under the sea? SpongeBob SquarePants creator Steven Hillenburg has died. Hillenburg studied marine biology in college and first created his comic characters to help teach his students. He soon returned to college to study animation, joining Nickelodeon in the mid-90s. Hillenburg was diagnosed with ALS last year. Steven Hillenburg was 57. <laughs> We're going to begin with an ABC News exclusive, our sit-down interview with President Trump's eldest daughter, Ivanka Trump, who spoke with ABC's Deborah Roberts. And she talked to her in Idaho about a number of things, but chief among them, what's happening at the U.S. southern border with Mexico and what Ivanka Trump thinks of those heartbreaking images from tear-gassed women at the border. There are some very shocking images coming across these days at the border. Yes. Gassing, families, children. How have you responded to those images? I think like any other person with a heart, it's devastating to see the images and, and seeing children put at risk. Running towards the border is heartbreaking. There's no other, there's no other way to process it. It also makes me angry. It makes me angry that we haven't been able to come together as a nation and change our laws. Your father has authorized lethal force, he says, if necessary. Does that concern you? I don't believe that that's what he said, but his primary role as commander-in-chief is obviously to protect the nation's borders. He has to protect our country's security, but I don't... Lethal force in this case would... <laughs> That is not, I think, something that anyone's talking about. 
In fact, President Trump has talked about using lethal force if necessary at the border. Let's take you there now with ABC's Romina Puga as these migrants are now camped, Romina, on the doorstep of the United States. Thank you, Aaron. So yesterday we did see families together at the camps, mothers with their children, and the kids were playing with toy cars, with soccer balls. There, there was a sense of, of happiness and positivity from the kids and families at the camps, which is why we wanted to bring you here to the west end of the border wall, which has a different feel. We're just a couple miles away from the migrant uh, tent city, and here it is colorful. The metal bars are covered in positive messages, hopeful messages, and I just wanted to bring you over here because if you look over there, a major U.S. city, San Diego, is just over the border. We can see it here from Tijuana. Their migrants are so close to the U.S., but here they have added barbed wire onto the wall by the water. This was not here a couple, a couple weeks ago. They just added it for the caravans. And again, this looks like a peaceful scene, but it is heavily guarded. Over here we see infrared cameras up there. There was just helicopters patrolling the area with infrared sensors. On the other side of the wall, there were Border Patrol cars. There still are a couple there. So this area is heavily guarded, and we are just a couple miles away from the migrants, and they are, again, so close to the U.S., but as we learned yesterday from Border Patrol, they're facing months, maybe more, before being able to seek asylum in the U.S. Romita, it's striking to see such a bucolic scene in the rolling waves behind you, and how far out does yeah. that wall extend? I mean, it's not like these migrants could just swim around it. No, I mean, they could try, but again, this area is heavily patrolled at all times, and it is a clear view here. So, uh, again, swimming across that may look easy, but it is definitely not. Striking from the border, ABC's Romina Puga, our thanks to you. And we are going to turn next to the special counsel investigation of Russian election meddling and the collapsed plea deal involving President Trump's former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort. It turns out now we've learned that the Manafort legal team has been briefing the White House about what Manafort's been asked by special counsel Robert Mueller, at least until his plea deal fell apart. ABC's Catherine Falders joins us now from Washington. Catherine, what's, what's behind these legal maneuvers? Yeah, so this, Aaron, it's an unusual arrangement between uh, the president's lawyers and, and Paul Manafort's lawyers, but it's not uh, illegal, really. So what they're doing here and what Rudy says, he says about, about Manafort's attorneys, quote, they share with me the things that pertain to our part of the case. So Giuliani is saying that Manafort's lead attorney, Kevin Downing, through uh, Manafort's briefings and meetings with the special counsel after he pled guilty, which we know that he's uh, met with them nearly a dozen times, that Downing, Manafort's attorney, is sharing that information with Giuliani, which, uh, of course, will help frame their legal strategy in some way, their approach to the special counsel's uh, investigation that involves the president. Now, Giuliani didn't get into what specifically uh, um, Downing shared with him. But we know that Manafort, he was the former campaign chairman. He was there at critical and crucial times during during that campaign, that Trump Tower meeting, uh, for example. So definitely an unusual arrangement and could possibly be um, a source of, you know, contention between Manafort and, and Mueller's office. You remember we reported earlier this month that talks were breaking down. Surely this probably had something to do with it, Aaron. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Could it not only be a source of, of ire among the special council team, but maybe a, a pitch for a pardon when it comes to Manafort's relationship with President Trump. Uh 
look, I think that's the big question. We've been talking about uh, a pardon for you know, over a year now as it relates to Manafort. There's been critical times throughout the trial um, when Manafort was, was found uh, guilty, for example, that the president uh, tweeted in support of Manafort. Today he was at it again, uh, saying uh, that the Mueller investigation, he cited three major players. I'm reading his tweet who says they are intimating that they're being told to lie about facts and they will get relief. He's saying three major players. I'd assume uh, one of those uh, could, could be Manafort. So the question here is, is there a pardon on the table? What is the timing of that? What does that look like? Is that after, is that after Mueller issues his report or, or does the president just let this go altogether? Those are the questions that we're posing to the White House and Manafort's defense attorneys. And in the meantime, sentencing has to be scheduled now for Manafort, right? Yeah, so sentencing, you know, remember there were two trials. There was one in the Eastern District of Virginia where he was found guilty on those eight counts of tax and bank fraud. That sentencing is scheduled for the end of February. Of course, there will be another sentencing scheduled uh, in this D.C. case, but we don't have that date yet. ABC's Catherine Falders with us from Washington following the latest developments in the Russia investigation and special counsel Robert Mueller. Catherine, I thanks to you. She did mention how President Trump has been tweeting about this. He's also been tweeting his ire at General Motors. And so we turn to the White House now with ABC's Karen Travers. Karen, what's behind the president's anger at GM? Well, it's the fact that they're closing plants, Aaron, and that's going to cost American jobs. The president said on Monday that he had spoken to GM CEO Mary Barra and told her he wasn't happy with this. Well, of course, critics are saying that the president, as a campaigner, as a candidate, and then as president last year, has promised to keep American jobs here. He's promised to bring jobs back. He's promised to rebuild factories, especially in parts of the country that have been hit hard by losses like this, Northeast Ohio, parts of Michigan. And they're saying that now this is a promise made and a promise not kept. Well, the president, Aaron, taking his ire out on GM. And yesterday, uh, while we were in the White House briefing, the president was tweeting that he would maybe move forward to cut subsidies for General Motors, all GM subsidies, he says, including those for electric cars. That, of course, caused quite a headline of what the president was thinking he could do, what was he trying to do. But Aaron, Republican sources on the Hill say he can't do this. This would have to be done through Congress passing legislation. There's no regulatory mechanism where the president could just pull back these subsidies. There's also a question, though, of whether or not it will impact consumers, people who get up to $7,500 as a tax break for buying an electric car. Uh, what would happen if the president did decide to go forward in some way? Would this impact people? We'll see. And, and even if he doesn't actually follow through or even if he can't follow follow through with his threats. It had an impact on GM stock. Yeah, stocks went down, and I think you know, we've seen this before with the president. When he sets a company, when he said something in his sites on Twitter, there is a backlash to this. And uh, this week, it's GM. The president, I, I don't think, is going to let go of this one. Yesterday, there were a lot of questions uh, to Larry Kudlow, the president's top economic advisor at the briefing, about what he might do. Kudlow deferred. He said, uh, stay tuned. Essentially, the president might be having an announcement. And sure enough, within minutes, it was that tweet saying he wanted to move forward to cut subsidies. Karen, up the street from you, Democrats uh, in the House of Representatives are choosing some new leaders. We know the president has weighed in a bit on that. Where things mm -hmm. stand? 
Yeah, today Democrats will be meeting behind closed doors, casting their first votes for Nancy Pelosi as Speaker. Couple of procedural things here. The, the leadership votes are counted by a secret ballot. If nobody raises their hand to challenge Pelosi and make it a contested race, they could move forward to just say, let's do this quickly and be done with it. Well, we expect that people will object to that and demand an actual count, uh, but they will keep that secret. So Aaron, you know how we like to do it here in Washington. You can sometimes have it both ways. You could vote no for Nancy Pelosi in this vote. It's a secret ballot. And then in January, when there is the formal vote among the whole House, you could vote yes. So keep your campaign promise, not get on Nancy Pelosi's bad side. But we'll be paying close attention today to see what the numbers are, to see what that would mean for that eventual vote in a couple weeks. ABC's Karen Travers with us from her post at the White House. Karen, our thanks to you. We're going to turn next to a rather disturbing story out of suburban Maryland, where high school football players have been charged with sexually assaulting a teammate with a broom. ABC's Stephanie Ramos joins us now from the scene at Damascus High School. Some have called this hazing, Stephanie, but prosecutors are clear this was rape. Aaron, that's right. Uh, some really gruesome details coming out of this uh, story here in Damascus. But as you mentioned, those four teenagers this school, this high school here in Damascus, Maryland, they are, they could face life in prison after allegedly taking part in this so-called tradition that even authorities are describing as astonishingly cruel. Today, those four teenagers did have their very first court appearance in Montgomery County where uh, each of them were charged with one count of first degree rape three counts of attempted first-degree rape and one count of conspiracy to commit first-degree rape. Now, they were all members of the Damascus Junior Varsity team, as were the alleged victims. Now, one of the more, more stunning uh, things that I heard following this story, I met with one of the attorneys of one of the suspects last night, and he says that he has practiced law in this area for the last 31 years, and he, over the years, has heard of incidents like these taking place at the school, which is just horrific. And that is the, the feeling that we're getting from a lot of the uh, people that live in this area. Hmm. Uh, stunning that that would be allowed to, to go on unchecked. ABC Stephanie Ramos with us from Damascus High School in Maryland. Uh, thanks. We're going to stick around with the subject of football now. And I want to bring in uh, ABC's Will Reeve, who's here, because the Washington Redskins have claimed Reuben Foster off waiver, waivers just after he was arrested for domestic assault and let go by the 49ers. Hmm. What are the Redskins thinking? Well, they're thinking they're getting a very good football player. Optics be damned. Of course, that has been a, a problem across the NFL. What are you What are you valuing? Wins or your standing in the community? And, and the Washington team clearly chose the former versus the latter. Foster is an immense talent, no doubt. He was a first-round draft pick, 31st overall, just last year. But since then, he's had a lot of problems. He failed a drug test at the NFL Combine, which is like showing up high to a job interview. And he was serving a suspension this year for another marijuana offense. And he's a repeat offender in the domestic violence area. He was charged this February uh, for an, an event involving a gun and, and a suspicion of domestic violence. That was later dropped because his girlfriend, who's involved in this story, recanted that tale this time around. Not as lucky. He has been arrested. So he will not be playing for the Redskins but he is on the team. Right, he's on the commissioner's exemplist? Yes, he, the commissioner's exemplist, basically, 
he's not allowed to suit up and do any football-related activities. He can't go to practices or games with the team until Commissioner Roger Goodell reinstates him. And who knows when that's going to happen. But the Redskins put a claim in on him. They were the only team in the NFL to do so. So now Reuben Foster is on their team. It's, it's odd because the, the NFL has really struggled to get away from these kinds of off-field distractions. And, and yet here we are again as, say, Colin Kaepernick sits on the sidelines. Right, and that, that many people are saying uh, across the landscape of social media and just general fan sentiment is if, if this guy who is now a repeat offender, domestic abuser, gets a job just days after being arrested for domestic violence, but Colin Kaepernick, who peacefully protested the national anthem, is still without a job, especially when you consider the level of quarterback play or, or lack thereof across the league, there's pretty good evidence on Kaepernick's side in his collusion case against the NFL that owners in the league are conspiring against him. And this just adds fuel to that fire for sure. ABC's Will Reeve, thanks very much for being here with yeah, that. My pleasure. From the competitive world of football to competitive chess, we're going to turn to ABC's Molly Hunter at the World Chess Championships, which have been underway for days. But Molly, no winner has emerged yet. How, how, how does this work? Aaron, I have lots of answers for you. This is so exciting. So we're actually down here. We're right outside the actual room where it's all happening. But you're right. This has been going for days. Uh, 48 hours of play, 12 games, and no winners. So today it is all decided. I'm going to take you on a little tour as I explain the rules. So we are down here. The room's in there. It's completely soundproof. Uh, we can't get in, but we've been watching up here. And actually the first game, Aaron, just finished of this next round. So I'll explain exactly how many rounds until the actual crown. You see, actually, I'm just going to point in tons of people kind of watching there. But come on this way. So now is there are four games they're rapid games and each 25 bonus for every turn and Magnus Carlsen has just won that he's the Norwegian I'm actually just going to show you a quick picture of him that's him right there Aaron Magnus Carlsen right there he is the Norwegian heartthrob he's won four times he also I might add was a former model and there is Fabiana Caruana he is the American that everyone is hoping for if he wins Aaron he'll be the first person since 1972 since Bobby Fischer but so Aaron we're in the rapid game round if it is still a draw after the rapid game round we go to blitz games now blitz games which sound very exciting and I've never actually witnessed um, each player has five minutes plus three seconds bonus and they're kind of mini matches of two games each if no one wins the blitz Aaron then we go to even more blitz games and finally Aaron if no one wins those we go to Armageddon now I'm just going to take you in here actually this is the media room it's literally called Armageddon David just come with me actually for a second if you don't mind of course Aaron actually someone who can explain this all far better than I am is David. David, you've been watching this. So first I want to actually give a quick rundown on that game. Magnus Carlsen won. What's your take? Uh, well, there were a couple of chances for him to get the win and um, he took the second chance. So he kind of missed the first chance, but you know, you cannot make two mistakes against the best in the world. And unfortunately, Fabiano um, gave him those two chances and now he's lost the first game and it's an uphill task now, but um, see what happens. We'll see what happens. So the next game is about to start in just a couple of minutes, Aaron, but I'm also going to have David describe Armageddon. This is the most 
ominous sounding final round, <laughs> lightning round of any sport I can possibly imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's a very unlikely event, especially after we had our first win, but I mean, it's kind of like just raising the stakes more and more and more so that we can get a winner, uh, so that you cannot have an kind of like unlimited draw scenario. Um, and unlimited draws is, of course, yeah. where we've been we, so far. We've got a record, record number of draws, which just shows the level of play these guys are at. Um, you know, they've, they've tried, they had loads of chances, but they just keep defending their positions so well, and that's testament to their play, really. These are the, Aaron, this is the number one and number two in the world, which doesn't always happen in the World Championships, so everyone here is super excited. We're watching with all of the world, chess's biggest fans, but also millions of people around the world. This is a big deal. It sounds like it. We're deep in the bowels of the World Championships of Chess, ABC's Molly Hunter with simply terrifying accounts of Blitz and Armageddon. And so we're going to turn to the soothing bomb of the weather and ABC News senior meteorologist Rob Marciano. Hello, Aaron. Great to be with you. We're still dealing with this November snowstorm that refuses to give way. It's spinning off the coast of Maine, and now we've got lake effect snows that are cranking Lee of Erie in Ontario. And we've seen anywhere from 8 to 18 inches of snow across uh, Chautauqua County there and the favorite areas, and also across the northeast kingdom of Vermont, where this bus skidded out and caused the interstate to, to shut down for a time yesterday, Interstate 91. There were some minor injuries with that. Good news for the ski resorts, 20 inches of snow for Mount Snow there. Look at that. You don't see that at the end of November very often in New England. Things will warm up, though, later on this week. Winter storm warnings remain in effect from Erie to just the south of Buffalo. Another six or so inches expected here in the next 24 hours. The low slowly pulling out where it's not snowing. It is blustery. It is windy. It is cold. All the way down into the deep south where wind chills are in the teens this morning. So definitely feeling like January. Meanwhile, in the west, look at these waves kicking up Pacifica, California. This is just west of uh, San Francisco. They don't normally get this big or this rideable there. You usually have to go down to Santa Cruz or Half Moon Bay, but surfers got a, a bit of a uh, treat there, just diving over Skyline Boulevard to catch some swells. But it is ahead of what's going to be a really strong storm that's coming in tonight. It'll be heavy rain, some beneficial mountain snow, but the rains will be widespread and even heavy across parts of Southern California and across Paradise, California, where those burns uh, burn areas are from the wildfires earlier this month, so there is a huge potential and huge risk for seeing some mudslides and debris loads uh, tonight and through tomorrow. So it's always a double-edged sword when it comes to rain after uh, wildfire season. Hopefully, uh, the land holds. They certainly can use the rain. Aaron? All right, we'll be watching that. ABC News senior meteorologist Rob Marciano with the forecast. And we want to leave you with, well, Knickers. Knickers is a cow. And take a look, he is a, a rather large cow, and he is, it turns out, over six feet tall. He weighs more than a ton. The cow's owner said the steer is just too big to go through a ordinary processing facility, so he's going to live out his days happily ever after on the farm with his much smaller compatriots. That is a large cow. Uh, the briefing room will have much more on all of these stories minus the cow at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Anything else you want to take a look at, check us out at abcnews.com. For now, I'm Aaron Katursky in New York. You've been watching The Debrief here at ABC News Live.